God, we thank you for the hope that we have that is alive and found in your son. We are thankful, Lord, that we don't live without hope, but we live with great hope. We thank you for the power and the truth of the resurrection. And we pray that that same power and truth would be here today as we look into your word. Would you change us, God? Would you be our teacher? Would you transform us more and more into the image of your son as we walk more obediently to what you give to us as your truth for our lives? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you uh, stood for singing. Good to see you guys today. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Great. This is incredible. Who would have thunk it that we could have here in Michigan, even in the summertime, had four weeks in a row of outdoor services. Can, we, can you believe that? We should give God a little praise for that, right? Thank you, Lord. As I said last week, I can't speak to how he is superintending above, over everyone's uh, outdoor service weather, but at least on ours, uh, he has shown up and been wonderful. So thank you. Thanks for being here today. Uh, sometimes in the winter we say, thanks for braving the cold. Thanks for getting through the snow and ice. Please be careful on your way home. Thank you for braving this heat, right? Uh, this is some, uh, we're in a hot stretch, and so thank you for being here, and uh, we are so glad to be able to share with you. As I try to say uh, almost each week, I too want to, again, thank you uh, so much, uh, the, the staff and volunteer team of people that work hard, that work well, uh, that invest their time and effort and creative energies into making these outdoor services happen on a weekly basis. So I, again, just uh, publicly, I say to that to them personally, but I want to say publicly how much I appreciate everything they're doing. Yeah, you can give them a round of applause. That's great. Thank you. Well, of course, we are uh, on July 4th weekend. Um, hopefully you've been able to do something to, uh, to celebrate that. Uh, hopefully maybe you had some, uh, some time off from your employment and everything. And I certainly understand uh, the value of national freedom. I certainly do. And uh, we, like every people group, like every country in the world, uh, we've got some stuff in our past and present that isn't too pretty, right? Uh, just as every country does. And, and, and we certainly are not the, 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 the uh, perfect representation of what it means to be a national entity. And again, no country is. But we, at the same time, understanding that and recognizing that, uh, not, hopefully not denying our past and not denying our problems in the present, uh, we are able to celebrate the fact that we, that we do live uh, here in the U.S. And I'm thankful for that. But at the same time of saying that, I also recognize that there is something above and beyond that that is even more important. There's a freedom that's beyond a national freedom that any individual might uh, experience or not experience in their lifetime. And we recognize that there are a lot of people who were, who were born, lived, and died uh, in national and geopolitical uh, sort of realities that were, that were tyrannical, that were oppressive, and that we're not good to them, right? We recognize that in our human history. But I do know that there is a type of freedom that supersedes all of that. There is a type of freedom. There's a forever freedom that, that, that can be in our lives regardless of where we might stand as it relates to our national identity. And that's the kind of freedom I'd like to talk to you about today. I think that's the kind of freedom that most of all that we need to be a voice of today. And so I want, I want to hope that as I share with you that what comes out of my mouth is, is pleasing to God, that what, 
what you receive in your ears and will and spirits is, is that which the Holy Spirit wants you to receive so that we can better understand what it means to really be free. There's a word that's used, uh, it's translated into our English Bibles as free or freedom, and it's the Greek word eleutherao. It means literally to liberate or to make free. Yeah, figuratively, it means to exempt someone from moral or ceremonial or, or even mortal liability. It means to deliver, to set at liberty from the dominion of sin. And right at the outset, what I'd like to suggest to you is this. I believe that the Bible is clear, and I believe God's heart and what his demonstration of this to the world is also equally, equally clear in this. Freedom, real freedom, true freedom, lasting freedom, permanent freedom, forever freedom, Regardless of how we might experience freedom in the human realm, there is the kind of freedom that God wants to provide, and Scripture argues that that freedom comes in a singular manner, one way, actually in one person. In John chapter 8, Jesus was speaking to some Jews who had believed in his name. And there John uh, recounts Jesus as saying this in verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You really are my followers. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Later in that same chapter, after a little bit of interaction with those people who had heard from uh, him, Jesus says, so if the Son, referring to himself, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. In other words, if I set you free... You are free indeed, regardless of what you, what you might experience between birth and death, regardless of where you might have been born, where you live today, and where you might die. There is a freedom that is experienced through Jesus and only through Jesus. So I would suggest to you that in the same way that when Jesus says in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free, I would suggest that the opposite or kind of the corollary of that is equally true. If you're not set free by the Son, then you're not, you're not really free. You might have national independence. You might be personal ind personally independent. You mean, might be financially independent. You might be free from the control of your parents. <laughs> you might, have, you might, not, uh, might not be incarcerated. There are all sorts of ways to understand freedom. But the kind of freedom that I'm talking about, the kind of freedom that God wants you to have, it, all, it comes and only through Jesus. And if you don't experience that freedom, then you're really not free, right? It's what Jesus is saying here. He says, right, in, in those verses uh, that I read at the very beginning, verse 32, he says, the truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, we know in that very same gospel, just a few chapters later, John 14, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. The truth will set you free and I am the truth, so I set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, if you have received that truth, you have something to celebrate today. And church, if we believe that truth, then we have something to embody and to declare to the world. Until the world comes to an end at the, at the, at the call of God himself, <laughs> Until that occurs, we have this message of living hope to give to the world that they can have freedom in Christ Jesus. 
Is there, are there things that are going to come after that? Yes. But before we go any further about, uh, about what this freedom entails, what it means, and uh, how it impacts our life on an everyday basis, we need to first grasp at a very deep level that we have received freedom in Christ Jesus. And I would suggest to you that in the same way that God declares that freedom, that forever freedom, that perfect freedom, that only comes through Jesus is real, then I would suggest the same thing is real kind of on the opposite way. Everything else, there's lots of voices, right, in our culture today, right? Lots of voices speaking lots of things. Some of them snuggle right up next to the truth. Some of them are half-truths. Some of them are actually bold-faced lies. We recognize that, that what's happening in our culture as we, as we see this. And so what we need to recognize is that as we embrace this truth that there is one way that we experience freedom, we also say that everything else, all else, is bondage and deception. Everything else is bondage and deception. In that same chapter, John 8, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Excuse me. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Not just that we have this occasional affinity for it. Jesus says we are actually enslaved by it. Now, to those people that he was talking to originally in John 8, they're like, now wait a second. Remember, it was, it was a, a Jewish audience that he was talking to. And they said, now wait a second here, buddy. We're, we're, we're the children of Abraham. And, and, and we've never been a slave to anyone, which is not exactly a true statement in and of itself, but it's partially true that they are children of Abraham. But they had been enslaved at various points in their history. But they're like, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And, and Jesus says to them, yes, you are Abraham's descendants. You come from his lineage. You can trace your genealogy back to Abraham. That's true. But then he goes on to say in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Abraham might, you might be his descendants, but you want to know who your dad is? You're of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. In other words, what Jesus is saying about Satan is when he speaks lies, he's speaking his first language, his only language, his native tongue. It's not something he had to learn. Some of you are bilingual. You have your primary language. You have a secondary language. Satan's primary and only language is that of lies. That's what he speaks. He speaks from his own nature when he tells a lie. Because why? Because he is a liar and he's the father of lies. We know that scripture says that Satan seeks to lead the world astray. And how does he do that? Well, Scripture says that he masquerades as an angel of light, right? That's why I suggest to you that some of the voices in our culture, that it sounds almost like it, it's, it's, it's kind of close to almost there. There's a lot of truth in it. And here's where, what, what would separate me from a lot of those messages. If it's not rooted in the person of Jesus, it does not lend, lend itself or lead one to a permanent freedom, which is the kind of freedom that ultimately God wants for every human being on the face of the earth, right? That's real freedom. And everything else 
is bondage and deception. Does that make it difficult at times to step into that arena and to speak that truth and to live that out? Absolutely it does. We can't shirk back from that responsibility, but I in no way mean that, may, that that's something that's easy. In fact, it can be very, it, it requires a, a lot of tact. It requires, it requires a lot of prayerfulness. I believe it requires a lot of work on our part so that we can adequately and appropriately, but boldly and lovingly represent the person of Jesus in a, in a culture that so desperately needs to understand that God's desire is that they would experience that freedom in his son. Because who the son sets free is what? He or she is free indeed. Free forever. Permanently free. So let's not get caught up in the bondage and deception. But let's allow that freedom that we have in Christ Jesus to be that, that point. Again, not denying all of the other things that are going on. All of the struggles, all the pain, all of the division, all of the heartache. Let's, let's not deny that. But let's let that freedom that we have in Christ, in and through Christ Jesus, inform every way in which we interact with people in those given situations. In those places of, con- of, of conflict. In those times of division and hatred and unrest. Anyone here today, just at any point in your life, have you ever felt, felt guilty about something? Anybody ever experienced that sensation of feeling guilty? Yeah, a few of you, right? The rest of you now can feel guilty because you're lying to me by not raising your hand, or you're too hot and you're about ready to pass out, whatever the case might be. Isn't guilt a horrible thing? I mean, it's just like, I, I, have, I have so many things in my life I look back on, things that I did, ways that I spoke to my parents, Things that I've done in my uh, 33 plus years of being married to Amy, being the parent of my kids, different friendships that I've had, churches in which I've served. I look back and sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm such a dork or a jerk. I messed up so many times. Anybody ever feel like there's like that, just like that weight? You know that picture of Eeyore, and Eeyore always has that black cloud over top of him, right? Because in Eeyore's world, it's always raining. Everybody else can be experiencing this, but in Eeyore's world, it's always cloudy. It's always raining. You know, and sometimes, spiritually, we kind of feel that way. And, and, and that can kind of dog us. I think that, that kind of stuff dogs us, even if we don't have this orientation toward, toward faith, if, even if there are people who don't necessarily have a, a, a spiritual kind of mindset and looking at things, there's still things they look back on and say, man, that, 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 that guilt is just kind of like hanging over us. Something I want you to know today, <laughs> you know this, but maybe you just need to hear it and maybe you just need to allow it to really sink into your heart and mind. When we receive freedom in, in Christ Jesus, we are freed from guilt. That doesn't mean we're freed from responsibility, consequences of things. I bear consequences of choices that I made 20 years ago. That sometimes happens, right? You guys, many of you have experienced that. But I'm freed from my guilt. I'm freed from the condemnation that I feel because I, I feel like I've messed up so much in life. I've screwed up so many relationships. And I've not done the kind of things that I, that I wanted to do. Paul talks about that very reality in, in Romans chapter 7 about how it's just like he's just torn up. I want to be this way, but instead I'm that way. I want to be Y, but instead I'm X. 
my, I know I want, I just have this desire to be this. But then when I watch myself, I live out that. Anybody ever, again, ever experienced that kind of thing? He says, like, what a wretched man I am. Like, is there no hope for me? And then I love how Paul, in turning the page from Romans 7 to 8, there's this, there's this movement in his tone. And uh, not long after the message paraphrase came out, uh, I, I came across these two verses from the message that Peterson, Eugene Peterson's the author of the message paraphrase. And uh, he, he, the way he paraphrases the first two verses of Romans 8, just it really made it come alive for me. Maybe it will you as well, as he says this. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma, the one I was talking about of the Romans 7 dilemma, this and that, why am I not living like this? Why am I living that way? That faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here, for, being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Eeyore, no more. <laughs> no more with that low-lying black cloud of guilt just like hanging there over us. Even those of you who grew up in churches that were great and making you feel guilty all the time. You can get rid of that low-lying black cloud. Even if you grew up in a family where your parents seem to make you feel guilty all the time because you never measured up, you can be rid of that low-lying black cloud. That's what freedom in Christ is all about. We receive this gift. Check it out. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, love that imagery, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air. The cloud is gone. Freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Your guilt is gone. Folks, that is something we're celebrating today that we have freedom in Jesus and in him alone, and that we have been freed from guilt. Those two positional theological realities inform, again, so much of how we live. And the third one that comes right up along next to it as it relates to our position in Christ and the theological truth around that is that not only are we freed from guilt, but we are freed from sin's ultimate end. Yeah, the, Romans 8, 2 alluded to that as we, as we wrapped up those verses. We are freed from the ultimate end of our sin. Many of you, of course, here uh, work some sort of job. Or someday, you might have a job if you're not old enough to have one yet. You might be at that place where you don't work any longer, but many of you had a job in the past. And you understand the principle of wages, right? It's a real simple principle. You work for a particular company, for a particular person, for an entity, for an organization. And at some point during that time, <laughs> every week, every couple of weeks, twice a month, when the job is completed, whatever it is, because of the work you do, because you didn't tell them, hey, this is a freebie, it's on me. You have this expectation that at some point, you're gonna see a direct deposit in your checking account, right? Or you're gonna get a physical check from someone, or maybe even a cash payment. We work and we receive wages most often in money. What's the wages for our sinfulness? Well, the scripture is clear. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. 
because we are sin. (laughs) And remember, Jesus said, everyone who sins, who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So because of our slavery to sin, the wages that we receive, it's not a great payoff. It kind of stinks. None of us would choose it. The way that we receive payment is in death. But Paul says, but, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The freedom that we receive is free to us. It cost Jesus his life. We were bought with a price, and the price was the son of God's life, but we receive it as a free gift. Real freedom, permanent freedom, true freedom, the kind of freedom that God wants every one of us to have is found only in Jesus. And we receive it. We're freed from sin's guilt. We're freed from our guilt of all those things, of what it meant to be a slave to sin and to never measure up in so many people's eyes, including God's. And we're also freed from sin's ultimate end. Now those are three super important powerful, fundamental, and foundational theological truths for us to, again, keep principally important in our lives. That is the message of hope that we have to the world. But I would say to you now that as we, as we kind of take that and move it from that, theolo- that theology that we need to embrace, that we need to receive by faith, and the personal benefit, the gains that we have from it, freed from guilt, free from the ultimate end of sin, which is death. Instead, we have life in Christ Jesus. It then also begins to change the way we live. Because I would say to you that when we receive freedom in Christ, we are freed to live the life that God has designed for us instead of the life that we've mapped out for ourselves. That's the life that he wants you to live, not the one that you've mapped out, but the one that he has mapped out for you. A chapter in scripture that so powerfully uh, um, kind of shares this with us is from Paul's letter to the Galatians. In chapter five, the very first verse of that, he's writing to some, to some people who are, are Jewish believers and, and people also who are some Gentile believers there as well. And he's, and he's saying to them that, you know, this, uh, this thing that some people are doing, you got to be, be on, the, on the lookout for it. In verse one, he says, so Christ has truly set us free. That's that fundamental theological principle. He says, now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again to, in slavery to the law. Don't get tied up in that. You see, there were some people uh, that sometimes we call them Judaizers who, who were coming into the church and saying, yeah, that freedom that you have in Christ Jesus, that's, that's great and fine and everything, but you also got to do this and that, and you got to observe this law and that law and this Sabbath day and that Sabbath day. You got to make sure that you do all the right stuff according to the Jewish law as well. And Paul says, now, wait a second. If you're free in Christ, don't, don't allow yourself to be subject, to be tied up again, because he says that actually that kind of stuff is another form of slavery. And you don't want to get tied up to that. So instead, he says, make sure that you stay free. So we won't, we don't want to, we don't, and, and again, this is what so many churches do, unfortunately, in a different kind of way, not as Judaizers, but we have this thing called the legalists, right? So you have freedom in Christ Jesus, but just don't wear that to church. 
you have freedom in in Christ Jesus, but, oh, we don't sing those kinds of songs, right? And churches are great about developing all of this religious system, right, to say that you got to do this, you got to look like that, you got to be part of this party, you got to act this way. And, and churches have for years created these legalistic sort of set of human requirements to almost like adding to the gospel to make it something organizationally that is very different than the fundamental, fundamental thing that we have in experiencing this freedom. Now, I'm not suggesting here that means it's chaos. Because you could kind of think how, uh, see how this kind of uh, line of thinking would go, right? I mean, just let your mind go there for a second. You're like, oh, okay. So Pastor Dave, you're saying I'm, I'm free in Christ Jesus, yep. So you're saying when I receive Jesus that the sins I've committed in the past, that the ones I have maybe committed today, and the ones I'll commit in 2023, they're forgiven. Yep. That's what it means to have received Jesus as Savior. You are forever forgiven. You're like, well, this sounds like a pretty good gig. I mean, it doesn't really matter how I live then, does it? If I'm forgiven, I might as well indulge myself. I might as well just do whatever I want. I mean, if God is so gracious that he's forgiving me from all that I've ever done, am doing, or will do, then my goodness, let me have it. So there was actually some of that thinking in the church. And Paul had to correct that as well with the Galatians. So he said, now, don't submit yourself to legalism, one extreme. But you then don't go to the other extreme and say, I can do whatever I want. There's no boundaries. There's no rules. There's There's nothing at all. Look at what Paul says to them in verses 13 and 14 of that same chapter. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That's not why you've been made free. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, goodness. (laughs) If those of us who are the freed people of Jesus having been freed from our guilt, having been freed from condemnation, having been freed from the penalty of death, if we could only see that that freedom that we've received has given us a new calling to love one another with abandon, reckless abandon, what, might, what difference might that make in our culture, in our culture of hatred and division, in our culture of unrest, in our culture where so many of the voices are not speaking truth. What if we, what if we all of that, I said in the nine o'clock service, I don't know how many people are, are, are genuine followers of Jesus in the world. I have no idea. I didn't even look up the number because I didn't want to, I didn't want to give some false number because who knows, even in our, in our crowd today, who knows those of you who have genuinely received the, the good news and, and have embraced Jesus as, as Savior. But let's just say even the people that are sitting here on the lawn, watching online, sitting in your cars, even if it was just though, that many, think of the impact of just that many people who are living this life uh, that they, this new life that they've received, this freedom that they've received in Christ Jesus, to love others more than simply to care about yourself. 
Now multiply that impact by the number of believers that exist in the world and think of the way in which our world might, be, might look incredibly different. I'm not talking about the ushering in some kind of heaven on earth thing. I'm not talking about that. But I think that there is a restorative element to the people of God, to those who have been set free in Christ Jesus, that we can have an impact on our culture, that we can have an impact on our world by being the people who love others. Because we don't use our freedom in Christ Jesus to indulge ourselves, to indulge our sin nature, to do those things which are displeasing to God, but instead, we use our freedom to love others. Paul says to another group of Christians something a little bit similar in Romans chapter six. He says, thanks be to God that you, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And here's where the proverbial rubber connects to the road. We have been set free so that we can be the servants of God himself. We haven't been set free to get tied up again into a different kind of a slavery, which is that legalistic slavery that Paul's addressing in Galatians 5. We didn't get set free so we could indulge ourselves and do whatever we wanted. But instead, we have been set free to become slaves to righteousness. And, and, and Paul talks about what it means to be people who live in a, in a righteous way, to bear those fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the kind of people we are. Because again, why? Because we're slaves to righteousness now. We're no longer slaves to our sin nature. We don't seek to try to indulge our sin nature. And so when things like conflicts arise, the way that we deal with one another is that we deal with each other in a kind, loving, gentle, understanding, and compassionate way. I mean, goodness sakes, folks, think about it. Think of this thing that a few minutes ago was on my face and is now hanging off my wrist. Think of how much division this little thing has created. Not just in the world, but in the body of Christ. I'm not please hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not pointing, pointing any fingers at the use or non-use of it. That's not, that's not the issue I'm addressing now. That could be a discussion that we might have. But what I'm talking about is the, the way in which we relate to one another, even in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be about us trying to come at each other, right? But it should instead be about us coming alongside one another in love and letting that spill over into the world. I'm only raising that as a simple issue. Again, it's not an issue about the wearing or non-wearing of masks. That's, hopefully you understand what I'm talking about here. It's talking about the issue of understanding that our freedom in Christ is limited by the fact that we are enslaved to be righteous people, living out that, those fruits of the Spirit, living out that love for one another, living out not an indulgence in our sin nature, but instead a commitment to serve God as King. Because ultimately, and this is the last thing, remember that we're, we have freedom in Jesus and in Him alone. Everything else, it's bondage and deception. No matter what it says, no matter what it looks like, it's still bondage and deception. 
We're freed from guilt. We're freed from sin's ultimate end, which is death. We're freed to live the life that God has designed for us. And you know that freedom? That freedom in Jesus that we experience and the resulting perfect servitude enslaved to righteousness, it yields incredible gains. Incredible gains for us and I believe also for in the entire world. Paul says later in that same chapter that I just read from, Romans 6, but now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, there, that, there it is, right? We're free to be, live in perfect servitude. We're free to be enslaved to God. You have your fruit. What's the fruit of your life? It results in sanctification, set apart. Some translations use the term holiness. You have been made holy in this as you have become enslaved to God because, because you now are enslaved to righteous, righteousness. God is making you righteous and the outcome is eternal life. Not death, but eternal life. Not a life that we make for ourselves, but the life that God has designed for us. Not a life that ends in death, but that one that ends in life. Not a life that's filled with guilt, but one that's freed from guilt. But that life, that life of true, real, permanent freedom, the kind of freedom that God really wants you to have, is found in and through one way, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus himself. This morning, the worship team is going to close us with a song. Whether you're here on campus or watching online, my prayer is that each of us would allow those theological truths about freedom to so deeply sink into our souls, to become so deeply ingrained in our lives that we truly do begin to live lives the kind of life that he designed for us, loving one another as a servant of God, being a slave to righteousness, not indulging our sin nature, not walking into, into legalism, but instead walking in the freedom to be able to serve the way that God wants us to.